I thank God for our musicians and for all who have led us so wonderfully in worship today. We are continuing a sermon series called Give Me Jesus. We're looking at various passages within the four Gospels of the New Testament that show us different things about Jesus. And today, I want to shine the spotlight on Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 33 a pivotal passage in Mark's gospel. And the title of the sermon is Voicing Our Own Faith Without Venturing Our Own Religion. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. When I took my young daughters to restaurants years ago, I would order on their behalf. She wants this, she wants that, I'll have such and such. It was the only option because they could not order for themselves. Even as they grew, it was often practical for me to speak for them because there was a line or the server was in a rush. She wants this, she wants that, I'll have such and such. But when my older daughter, Maggie, became quite capable of speaking, I asked her to be brave and make her own order. Understandably, at about five years of age, she still preferred for her father to speak for her. But she gathered her courage and she said, I want chicken nuggets, please. The server smiled, I smiled, 
and Maggie smiled. She had found her own voice. I remember well when I was in graduate school, I spent several months conducting thoroughgoing research and writing deep into the night, and I finally submitted the first chapter of my dissertation. I had consulted Kate Turabian's infamous guidebook entitled A Manual for Writers of Research Papers, Theses, and Dissertations, and I had carefully cited every single scholar I quoted. There were footnotes everywhere. After reviewing the draft, the professor made a few comments about sources, content, and organization. Then he said to me, make sure your own voice is coming through. It's important to cite other scholars and make appropriate attribution, but make sure your own voice is being heard. From then on, I tried to say things the way I wanted to say them, rather than the way Professor so-and-so at such-and-such university might say them. I found my own voice. Did you know that each of us has a unique voice? Scholars of preaching Mary Lynn Hudson and Mary Donovan Turner employ the metaphor of voice to help women overcome the various lamentable efforts to silence them in the pulpit. They note that just as everyone has a unique fingerprint, everyone also has a unique voice print. No one's voice is exactly like yours. Voice, therefore, is a unique expression of a particular personality. Sometimes amid the cacophony of the crowds and the opinions of others, we have to find our own voice. When someone asks, will you marry me? Only you can answer that question. <laughs> when someone asks, will you forgive me? Only you can answer that question. When someone asks, what do you believe? Only you can answer that question. In the Baptist tradition, individuals publicly profess their faith upon their baptism. I have heard the voices of seven-year-old girls and 70-year-old men profess faith in Jesus. I have heard the voices of highbrow professionals and homeless individuals profess faith in Jesus. Each voice is distinct, featuring its own volume, its own rate, its own inflection, its own accent, and its own history. This is only fitting since each of us is called to speak for ourselves when it comes to Christian belief. It will not do to have others speak for us, talk over us, or silence us, especially on matters of religious conscience. While we learn from others and are influenced 
by others. Part of Jesus' ministry is drawing out our own voice amid the resonant rumblings around us. He knows each of us has our own intonation, our own cadence, and our own articulation, and he calls each of us to voice no one's faith but ours. On the way into the villages of Caesarea Philippi, Jesus first asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist, they reply. Others say you're Elijah. Still others say you're one of the prophets. Popular opinion about Jesus was all over the place. And it has been ever since. Some say Jesus was a magician. Some say Jesus was a Buddha or an awakened one. Nietzsche said Jesus was a free spirit. Gandhi said Jesus was one of the great teachers of mankind. One 20th century author said Jesus was the founder of modern business. Yet, after the first question about public opinion, after the, the warm-up question, Jesus piercingly inquires, but who do you say that I am? This may be the single most important question ever posed. It leaps off the page and across the centuries. Who do you say that I am? I'm not asking who your mom or dad or grandparents say that I am. I'm not asking who your preacher or professor says that I am. I'm not going to order for you. I don't want you to footnote anybody else. I'm asking you, who do you say that I am? This is an invitation to voice our own faith. It reminds me of a theologian whose wife was experiencing rapidly declining health. One day she asked him, what do you believe about the resurrection to everlasting life? He replied, well, German theologian Wolfhart Pannenberg has made a robust case that Jesus arose in bodily form from the dead. No, 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 she interrupted. I'm asking what you believe about the resurrection. It reminds me of my grandfather, too. He was a churchgoer, a deacon, and a Sunday school teacher for middle school boys. Each night, he spent the last 20 minutes before bedtime reading his Bible and saying his prayers. He didn't wear me out with God talk, but he did say one thing to me multiple times over the years. Noel, he said, the second most important decision you'll ever make is who to marry. The most important decision you'll ever make is whether to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. When Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? We are called to respond authentically, honestly, and personally. We are summoned to speak for ourselves. We are challenged to find our own 
voice. So amid the silence of the other disciples, Peter pipes up and replies, you are the Messiah. He was expressing his conviction that Jesus was the Christ, the long-awaited king of the Jews, the Savior. This is no small statement. (laughs) To this point in Mark's gospel, the disciples have called Jesus teacher. To call him Messiah is to say much, much more. Curiously, Jesus tells them all to keep quiet about it. He did not want them to tell anybody that he was the Christ until he could reconfigure who the Christ was. He knew that while he was the anticipated Messiah, he was not the Messiah that most anticipated. Popular religion expected a warrior who would triumph over enemies of flesh and blood or a political leader who would take charge and liberate the Jewish people from Roman rule. But Jesus says to the disciples, I am going to suffer and be rejected and killed. Then I will rise from the dead on the third day. Now, this does not sound right to Peter. <laughs> it doesn't sound right at all. So he takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. Don't miss the irony. He who has just called Jesus the Christ, the King, the divinely anointed ruler, immediately attempts to correct him. <laughs> right after Peter finds his voice, he tries to tell Jesus what to do. Mark does not report exactly what Peter said, but I got a pretty good idea. Now, don't talk crazy, Jesus, Peter said. You're going to triumph, not suffer. You're going to be revered, not rejected. You're going to be crowned, not killed. No more talk of suffering and death, all right? That's bad for your brand. Don't you know what it means to be the Messiah? Use some force, man. Put the Romans in their place and take over. 2,000 years later, we are still tempted to correct Jesus' way of being Christ. We are still tempted to fashion Jesus into a worldly conqueror who brings his followers worldly power. We are still tempted to reject the way of the cross, adapting Jesus to our own liking and using Jesus for our own purposes. In their book entitled Habits of the Heart, Robert Bella and a team of sociologists explore several dimensions of American life. Their discussion of religion cites a nurse named Sheila Larson, who described her religion as Sheilaism. She said, I believe in God. I'm not a religious fanatic. I can't remember the last time I went to church. My faith has carried me a long way. It's Sheilaism. Just my own little voice. The authors call this a perfectly natural expression of American religious life. Because it syncretizes aspects of various religions, philosophies, and cultures to form one's own 
personalized religion. But here's the rub. Voicing our own faith is not to be confused with venturing our own religion. Proclaiming our own faith is not to be confused with producing our own religion. Confessing our own faith is not to be confused with contriving our own religion. Consider what happened when Peter tried to correct Jesus by telling him not to suffer and die. Consider what happened when Peter tried to customize Christ to his own liking, deter Christ from the cross, and establish his own way of salvation. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. It sounds harsh, but it's not so much an insult as an instruction. You can't follow someone if you're in front of them. So Jesus says, get behind me, so that the disciple is in the following position rather than the leading position. When we voice our own faith in Christ, it's not so we can show him what to do and let him tag along. <laughs> it's so he can show us what to do and we can follow obediently. We don't get out in front of Jesus and show him how to be a savior. We get behind him so he can show us the way of salvation. That's why after Jesus rebuked Peter, he summoned the whole crowd along with his disciples and he said to them, look, if anybody wants to come after me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Here is the key to voicing our own faith without venturing our own religion. We follow behind Christ in the way of the cross. The way of freely chosen, self-sacrificial love for people. The way of freely chosen, humble service to humanity. Along the way, we learn from others and are influenced by others, but we don't allow others to speak for us or talk over us or silence us because our voice is worth hearing and our faith is worth voicing. You are not beholden to how I voice my faith, just as I am not beholden to how you voice your faith. This is a free pulpit, and that is a free pew. You are not required to agree with all of my interpretations of Scripture, just as I am not required to agree with all of yours. Yet we can learn from each other, grow together spiritually, and speak to one another with our own unique voices, all within a harmonious community of discipleship, because none of us is trying to use our voice to create our own religion. As long as we're all following behind the same Christ, as long as we're all walking the way of the same cross, we can voice our faith with our own articulation, our own cadence, our own volume, our own intonation, our own diction, our own expression, and our own accent. Indeed, each of us has our own accent in the faith. Some of us put the accent on evangelism, Others put the accent on ecological responsibility. Some of us put the accent on personal devotion. 
Others put the accent on communal worship. Some of us put the accent on social ethics. Others put the accent on sacred music. Some of us put the accent on personal morality. Others put the accent on contemplative prayer. Some of us put the accent on the providence of God. Others put the accent on the fellowship of believers. Some of us put the accent on intellectual investigations of Scripture. Others put the accent on the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Some of us put the accent on long-standing traditions. Others put the accent on modern expressions. Some of us put the accent on global missions. Others put the accent on local missions. Some of us put the accent on Christian education. Others put the accent on Christian service. Some of us put the accent on ongoing repentance. Others put the accent on everlasting life. Some of us put the accent on holy baptism. Others put the accent on the Lord's Supper. Some of us put the accent on outreach. Others put the accent on hospitality. Some of us put the accent on justice. Others put the accent on forgiveness. Some of us put the accent on truth. Others put the accent on grace. Some of us put the accent on joy. Others put the accent on peace. But each of us brings something special to the faith. Even as faith brings something special out of each of us. And all of us follow the same teacher, the same Savior, the same Messiah in our own unique way. This is all as it should be, friends. For when we voice our own faith without venturing our own religion, the individual, the church, and the world are all the better for it. Amen. If you have